Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today, we are in Season 2, Episode 11. I'm Ben Patterson. I'm joined by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, good to be here this morning, Ben. I hear you are without coffee this morning. so I am. I am. It's a coffee-less day so far. Hopefully, we'll... Uh We'll pull out the natural pep instead of the <laughs> caffeine augmented peppiness that we sometimes see. So we'll, we'll I, I see think what there's happens, plenty Paul. of the good natural stuff in there too. So uh, there is, there is. Yeah, uh, we are today. We're going to continue with our series witness. Uh, we're actually coming off of a pretty big day yesterday at Grace Chapel. Yeah. Because yesterday we had what we call our ministry fair, which is the event is able to um, kind of go in conjunction with this series witness. Yes. Yep. Um, the ministry fair, it's this really cool opportunity where we're able to have a bunch of our community partner organizations come out and they were able to be here, mm-hmm. set up a table, we were outside and just folks were able to just go around and talk to a bunch of our community partners, get a chance to meet them, get a chance to hear about what ministries they're doing out in the community. So it's really cool and yeah, just how this right. connects with, um, with how we be a witness. Yeah, even this uh, particular message that we'll be talking about yesterday, very deeply rooted in the idea of us getting out in the community yeah, yeah. and letting the community see Jesus through the way that we're, we're living and acting, the way yeah. that we're reflecting him as we'll talk about with this series. Yeah, so before we dive into that specifically, uh, you want to give us a little recap of this series, Witness, and tell us like why we're doing this, why we're doing this series, Witness. Yeah, so so uh, in Sunday morning's message, actually to try to recap the series or to give the why for the series, I pulled from Second uh, Corinthians five twenty, where, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we're making His appeal through us, mm-hmm. or as though God were making His appeal through us. So He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, and so. Uh, the Apostle Paul very plainly, very clearly saw that about himself, that he was almost like an ambassador for Jesus the King, mm-hmm. um, in a sense representing or reflecting him into the world around us. And so, um, you know, again, the series titled Witness, the, the tagline for that is that we're representing Jesus in everyday life. Mm-hmm. That's our call. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so, uh, so really, just kind of as a side note, too, but, but it does connect, I think, Really, when we think about it, um, it's that image restoration or representing Jesus, looking like Jesus, is actually one of the most important goals of walking with Jesus. You know, and then sometimes one that's gone neglected too. I mean, we kind of think, okay, I'm going to be a Christian because I want to go to heaven. You know, and we even think about it in those terms. Um, where really what God wants to do within, within us is this transformative work to where we look more and more like Jesus. You know, and that's true at the individual level. It's true at the, the community level, the communal level. There, there, there's so many scriptures that support this idea 100%. We've just kind of more often neglected them or missed them. But even when we think about Romans 8, 28, which everybody loves, all Christians love this idea that God is working for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. But right then in the next verse, the Apostle Paul tells us what that purpose is. And it's so that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose that God is working toward. So you could say, okay, well, God's goal for us is that we look more and more like Jesus. I think we, we have acknowledged that here at Grace Chapel over the last several years for certain, but we need to keep saying it. We need to keep teaching it. And for those listening to this podcast who are not connected to Grace Chapel, we want you to know, uh, we believe fully that God's goal for us is that day by day, we look more and more like Jesus. That, that image of God that was imprinted upon us at creation, which became distorted at the fall, God's goal is to restore that image within us every day. So, you know, uh, I think certainly throughout history, that was acknowledged by lots of the early church fathers. Um, if you look at some of the writings of the early church fathers, they understood and what they, what they called it was this idea of theosis, which is, uh, you know, the image of God becoming restored in us. That's exactly what it is. I'll just say, again, as a side note, a friend of mine um, has written a short book about this that I'd like to just quickly pr- plug. It's called Recreated to Be Like God. Uh, by a guy named Curtis Erskine, and we'll, we'll link that in the show notes if you're mm-hmm. interested in looking at that. It's a discipleship.org resource. Um, but we need to reintroduce ourselves to these ideas that it is at the heart of following Jesus is becoming more like Jesus, to yeah. be recreated yeah. in the image of God, as, as Curtis puts it. 
And so, so all of this just is to say that, that, that it is our call to be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ and then to turn around and reflect that image into the world. Another way that we're saying that again this month is representing Jesus in everyday life. And when we do that, we're truly witnesses to who Jesus actually is. And that's, that's what we're talking about this month, this idea that mm -hmm. we're called to be witnesses to the real Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's our call. That's good. Very good. Very great spot to start this. So where'd you go with that this week in this week's message? Yeah, so, so started this week's message just with this acknowledgement that, um, that we live in a culture, and, and I think most of us recognize that at this point in time. We live in a culture that's becoming increasingly and, and rapidly so, increasingly skeptical about the church, certainly as an institution and, or, and an organization, but well beyond that, um, we live in a culture that is becoming increasingly skeptical about even individual Christians. You know, if you call yourself a Christian, it's almost you can guarantee that you're going to be labeled by culture and society in a particular fashion. Mm -hmm. You're immediately, there, there are going to be thoughts that are had about you that are outside of your control. So, you know, I think many are saying, and, and rightly so, even though I think a lot of Christians still don't like this language, and, and, and I don't like the language either because of the truth that it reflects, but a lot of Christians, I feel like, don't like this language because they'd rather deny the truth of it. But, but we're living in a culture that is officially transitioned to a post-Christian culture, meaning that, that once it was almost taken for granted, um, that, that most people just operated within a Christian framework, if that makes sense. That was, what, that was what was taken for granted. I mean, everybody operated basically within a Christian framework and maybe even out of a somewhat spiritual worldview. Although over the last 500 years, that spiritual worldview has definitely been in decline. But that, that was kind of the assumption that most people operated within a pseudo-Christian cultural framework. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, <clears throat> In our current age, I think you almost have to assume the opposite. Hmm. Here, here's why I would say that's true. I, you know, Barna Research, Pew Research, others as well, um, they show just how much things are changing around us right now. Mm -hmm. So we can say changing in the world around us, but also changing within the church. And so, you know, one of the first things that we can kind of identify in that is, is that there is this truly low biblical literacy, even among Christians. I mean, an incredibly low biblical literacy. Um, there's a, a decrease in Bible reading among Christians. In fact, from 2020 or 2020 to 2021, uh, the number dropped almost 10%. I mean, it was a very, very quick drop. Um, there's a loss of a, world, a biblical worldview even among Christians. In fact, you know, Barna's research that really just shocked the world that said that only 9% of all people who call themselves Christians actually have a genuine biblical worldview. We've talked about that before on the podcast. Um, but, but the things they're using to, uh, to qualify biblical worldview are just things that have shown up in, you know, and we're not a creedal people within, you know, within our, uh, our group, our tribe. Um, well, in some ways, we're not a creedal people. In some other ways, we are a creedal people. But we, you know, while we might not repeat the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed uh, every Sunday morning, we would affirm the things that exist that are represented within those creeds. Mm -hmm. Those are basically the measures that Barna used to determine whether somebody held a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. So you've got only 9% of all Christians affirming what is stated plainly in these very early Christian creeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so again, a, a loss of a biblical worldview, even among Christians, uh, a, a pretty quick and rapid decrease in the percentage of those who call themselves Christians within the North American uh, landscape, and then really this, this rapid rise in those who have no religious affiliation at all, and you know, they're called the nuns, and that's often joked mm -hmm. about. But what all it means is these people identify themselves, you know, when they have the opportunity to check the box and say, you know, identify as a Christian, as a Jewish folks, you know, Jewish people, as Muslims, as Hindu, as whatever it happens to be. Here's what I identify as. There's a box way down at the end that says none. And that, that group is growing very quickly, especially among the younger generations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have all that at work. Then we have uh, what has almost arisen as a natural outflow of that, you know, you start to get these groupings of people that draw themselves together and give themselves a name at times. And so there, there has emerged in the last uh, just few years, actually, 
uh, a movement of folks calling themselves exvangelicals. So it's a play on the word evangelical, <laughs> evangelical Christians, which is kind of the dominant Christian uh, maybe expression within uh, North America or has been for years anyway, and, and certainly in, in a lot of places of the world as well. Um, so again, this idea of being exvangelical that's arisen over the last few years, some of these exvangelicals um, end up moving toward progressive Christianity as they walk away from evangelical Christianity. Uh, many move towards agnosticism or atheism, so really walking even further away from faith. And we've, we've talked about this before in the sense of um, deconstruction, the deconstruction of faith that is often taking, taking place. And, you know, that's uh, deconstruction just as the process of deconstructing faith and sometimes just a church experience even. Uh, but we've talked about where that often leads, you know, when people start to do that. And um, <clears throat> really, what we're not giving here in this moment, I think I want to be clear, what I'm not giving is, is a, a defense of evangelicalism wholesale mm -hmm. in any way to say there's nothing uh, bad that's coming out of evangelicalism. We know that's not true. In fact, we know that you know evangelicalism, the evangelical movement as a whole, has had some serious issues, uh, has been at the center of some serious issues, but often the ex-evangelical movement only focuses on the issues or the problems and entirely ignores the good that has been done mm -hmm. over the mm -hmm. years by many evangelical Christians. Yeah, yeah, you know, fair. so um, but again, we're just talking about the landscape as it is right now. You know, add to that, um, and a lot of the ex-evangelicals will talk about this. Uh, just you know, just uh, all all the church scandals that we've seen over the last few years. Um, you know, whether it be the stuff with Ravi Zacharias, and we don't want to drag all that back up again, or whether it be um, the stuff that happened, you know, with, with Bill Hybels, and there's still questions about that, and, you know, these very, very prominent names. And mm. we're not trying to call these guys out to run them through the mud. We're just saying there's been, there have been some things that have happened that were really, really bad things mm -hmm. uh, within uh, the evangelical landscape within the evangelical movement. And those are just a couple of names. I mean, we could keep on going. You know, it's church abuse scandals, whether it's Mark Driscoll. Uh, and there's a huge podcast done about that, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which you can go and listen to and you can see uh, all that happened there that was just so ungodly, mm -hmm. even though some good things came out of what was done at Mars Hill. Mm -hmm. But there was so much baggage and, and, and so many church wounds that people continue to bear to today. And so, um, you know, the media jumps on those uh, situations. I, I would say, you know, would we say that that represents most of the North American church experience? I would say probably not, you know, mm -hmm. but it represents enough of the American church, North American church experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's highlighted, um, you know, in, in bold, you know, in bold letters in a sense, uh, to the point that that is certainly the perception that people start to have of maybe the whole church experience. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe on the flip side, maybe there haven't been enough positive stories to share so that people start to say, well, no, look, that's just obviously not true about all Christian leaders or all church experiences. See, let me tell you about this church that's doing all these wonderful things. Maybe that's some of what's been missing um, because we know that church has become more an experience about coming together on Sunday morning, the internal ministries that we have here, but it's not been a movement of God's people doing things in the world that work to transform the world. And so, you know, what I said on Sunday morning, I think, um, and I think we're starting to recognize this, is that if we aren't willing to work hard to change hearts and minds, and, and what, I, what I mean when I say if we aren't willing, I mean the North American church or the yeah. Western church. Um, and so if we aren't willing to, to work hard to change hearts and minds, we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in trouble. And so, you know, I, I know that makes it sound a little bit bleak, but but we have to set the stage, I think, with that reality and mm -hmm. with that understanding. Yeah, I mean, so <clears throat> you do lay out a pretty, uh, a pretty grim reality there in the beginning of movements of our culture, of skepticism towards the church, the ways the church has been a poor witness. And yeah. a lot of, um, <laughs> that's a pretty, it's a pretty grim start. Yeah. So 
why don't you tell us? I know in that message you did, you got to a solution um, to the skepticism in our current culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and or, I mean, at least it was a way forward yes. that you discussed yeah. for the church, yeah. for us as individual Christians. Uh, so what what do you think that is? Yeah, I, I think um, it, it starts with this acknowledgement. Uh, first, you know, we could say for whatever reason, um, and, and all the blame does not lie on the church. I mean, th- there, there is no doubt that our culture has moved and shifted rapidly. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, there have been some things that have happened within the church that just are not okay. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who bear church wounds. We have some people who've come here to us at Grace Chapel and are on a journey of healing from some church wounds. And so we've had conversations with, with those folks and love to hear the stories when people start to see um, a church community behaving a certain way that is restoring their faith and hope in the church as the body of Christ. I mean, I, I rejoice when, mm-hmm. when we hear stories like that. Um, but what it illustrates is this, is that you know, oftentimes when people walk away from the church or when people maybe have never been a part of the church but have a real negative view of the church, uh, what it indicates is that there's a real mistrust of church and maybe Christians uh, in general, mm-hmm. you know, and so <clears throat> there's actually this study, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, that our discipleship minister here, uh, Rob Shaver, introduced me to probably I don't know maybe maybe about a year ago at this point in time, a um, little little more than a year maybe, um, and it's done by InterVarsity Press, primarily a, a ministry or a parachurch orga- organization that operates on college campuses. Okay. But they often do a lot of research um, into uh, engaging culture around us because especially college campuses, they're kind of on the front, you know, on the leading edge of engaging culture or mm-hmm. the cultural mm-hmm. shifts, the dynamics that are involved in that. Yeah. And so what they identified is, is that most people are skeptical because they believe they have a reason to mistrust the church or Christians. In fact, you know, one of the ways that they define this in their five threshold study, and we'll link this as well, because okay. I think it really is an important study for people to be able to look through. Um, also, there's some resources that you can go on, you know, when you get to this page that we'll link. Uh, you can actually go through, watch a video, you can do some training. There's a PowerPoint that they have there that helps you navigate maybe how you would lead people in a very skeptical culture through a process of moving to where they would follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's a very helpful resource. But again, the first thing they identify is this lack of trust for Christians in the church. Okay, so the way that they phrased this or the way that they boiled down what people were representing to them as they talked with people who went from being skeptical to being wholehearted followers of Jesus is that people began kind of feeling this way, and this is the way they put it. I try to value all kinds of people, but I don't usually trust Christians and I have a hard time trusting God, okay. right? So that was where people began, and that is where people begin in a very skeptical society, a mm-hmm. very skeptical mm-hmm. culture. And, and there are a lot of reasons for that. And again, sometimes we in the church, uh, we have to be honest that we are, we at least bear some of the blame mm-hmm. for the skeptical attitude of people and culture toward the church. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they, they talk about this kind of continuum um, basically, what, what they're doing in this continuum is, try to, is trying to define the target, the right target for the church and for Christians. Um, and, and in that, they're also illuminating the wrong target as well. Okay. So let me, let me try to explain that. So what, what they say the church is supposed to be about, and this goes back to the, the verse that we shared at the beginning from 2 Corinthians 5.20, the church is supposed to be a place where there is a high value on reconciliation, reconciling the world to God and the rightness, the goodness, the justice of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're supposed to be that type of people. It's the your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven idea. That's the kind of people that we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be out reconciling the world to God. And in the process of reconciling the world, we're reconciling, helping reconcile individuals, but, but more than just individuals, hopefully institutions of the world as well, to yep. make a difference so that the things we see that are unjust in this world, that are not of God, that are unrighteous, that those things would not happen as often, <laughs> at least anyway. And we know that you know, this side of eternity, um, there are going to continue to be messes in this world. But we as the church are supposed to be 
uh, a, a countercultural force in that, um, you know, pushing back against uh, injustice and unrighteousness and all these things. Okay, so the church is supposed to be a place of high reconciliation, high righteousness, high justice. <clears throat> On the other side of that, we're also supposed to be a crowd of people that are highly evangelistic, they would say. Or maybe in our language, we would say with a very high value on discipleship and disciple making. Okay. Those are the kind of people that we're supposed to be. So you have both of those at play. So if we were to look, you know, what they have is this kind of this chart. And on the, the left side of that chart, they have an arrow going up. And at the top of that is, you know, that high reconciliation, high mm -hmm. justice, high righteousness. Um, on, on that continuums up, up and up and up to the, the left. On the bottom side, you would have that running with a continuum from low evangelism to high evangelism right. or a low discipleship culture to a high discipleship yeah. culture, okay? So if, for example, you were to be at a place where you were part of a church experience that, that neither was, you know, that neither had a high um, reconciliation, high righteousness of God, high justice focus, but also did not have a high discipleship focus, you would be at a place where a group of people that came together for that reason would, by their terminology, just be a social club. Mm -hmm. That's all you'd be. Mm -hmm. So you'd be coming together to hang out so there's a little impact of what's happening, a little impact through that church in the world around. And there's also very little personal transformation then happening within that church. Okay. Okay, because we don't care about things yeah. like reconciliation and justice and righteousness. We don't care about those things. And we also don't care about discipleship and disciple making. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If, on the other hand, we cared only about reconciliation, justice, and righteousness, we would be what they call the reconciliation community where the good news is not shared, it's only embodied. And so we believe you know, that, uh, that we don't have to actually speak about God. Okay. All we have to do is look like Jesus. And there are a lot of people that, that ends up being often what, uh, you know, when people try to understand what progressive Christianity can be about, that often is what progressive Christianity looks like. We're trying to uh, be the love of God, but without the truth of God connected to it. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so we care a whole lot about good works, but we don't really care about a whole lot of other things. Or we care but just about love, but we you know, love and grace, but we don't care <coughs> about truth. And so what they say about that, again, is good news is not shared, it's only embodied. But if you were all the way over to the other side of the spectrum where you cared a lot about discipleship, disciple making, but you didn't care about the righteousness of God. You weren't worried about his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. You'd end up with what they call an evangelism community where the good news is shared, but it's not embodied. Mm -hmm. So in other words, there is no transformation taking place or very little transformation taking place in the lives of the people, but we're still out there sharing the good news. Mm -hmm. um, and, and oftentimes, it's not really the full good news. It's not the full gospel when that is, is what happens, you know. And so um, you end up with, uh, you know, a kingdom without a king, in a sense, in both the reconciliation community and the evangelism, in the evangelism community. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we're spreading the good news, but only about, hey, you know, Jesus will take away your sins. Not about the coming of Jesus as the king, which we talked about uh, a few weeks ago here on, on the podcast as well. But what we get actually when we combine the, the high reconciliation, justice, righteousness focus or value and the high evangelism or discipleship, disciple-making value is what the church is supposed to be about, which is what they call a transformational community, where both the people within the community are being transformed, but that community is working to transform the world around them as well. And what they say about that is, that the Holy Spirit then keeps leading us into conversions, reaching new networks, reconciliation, justice, righteousness. We're focused on those things because we're being the people of God, the transformational community of God at work in the world around us. Which, which leads us, I think, to uh, you know, Jesus' words, which, which we talked about in Sunday's message. Um, and again, we'll link this IVP, uh, this IVP uh, yeah, thinking yeah. In, in the show notes for people to look Intriguing. through. And it's, it, it is really good stuff to look through. Uh -huh. We can only go through so much of it, obviously, here this morning. But I think there are things that are very applicable to what we're talking through. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus calls his disciples and all those listening to him and all those who read those words to be salt and light in the world. Mm -hmm. To be salt and light in the world. And, and there's... There's a whole lot that goes along with that. In fact, you know, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. 
But then he turns to those who would follow him and says, you're also the light of the world. Again, that's the idea is, is we are being reshaped into the image of Jesus. We then are also the light of the world as he was the light of the world. Now, our light is a reflection of his light. It's a representation of him in the world. You know, I would say in a sense, we, we don't have our own light. Mm-hmm. You know, we shine his light. You know, but Jesus says in that section very emphatically, almost to the point that if you read it in the original language, many scholars, many uh, textual interpreters have walked away saying that what is plain in this text, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, Mm -hmm. he's saying very plainly to the crowd that's listening to him, you are and nobody else is. Mm. It's just you. Yeah. It's you. And when he later says to them, you are the light of the world, the same emphasis are there. You are, as my followers, the light of the world. Nobody else yeah. is. You are. I've got it pulled up here. Let, yeah. me, let me just read yeah, it. Go ahead quick. and read that. Yeah, that's great. Um, Ma- this is uh, Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Mm-hmm. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others Mm -hmm. so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Yeah, I love these words of Jesus. And again, hear hear again how emphatic he is in saying, you are these things. Yes, yeah. You are these things. You know, and he says, if you don't do this, that saltiness becomes worthless. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you know, go, go be salt, but understand that if you're not salt, it's just like salt that, that, you know, that is only good for being scattered on yeah, the ground yeah. because it's become worthless for doing what it's supposed to do to flavor mm-hmm, this world mm-hmm. in a new way. We talked about that on Sunday. You know, salt in, in Jesus' day was used to flavor things just like it is today. It was also used to preserve meat. So you mm-hmm. rub a covering of salt on that meat and the meat that was inside of that would hold its, uh, you know, would hold for a time. They didn't have refrigeration, so the only way to do that was to actually preserve it by rubbing salt on the outside. And so I think Jesus has both of those ideas in mind as he's speaking to his disciples and to us. Go flavor this world in, in a way that, that looks different. Go add flavor to this world. And then also go, go be pockets, become pockets of preservation in this world, in a world that is decaying and, decaying and experiencing decay. I mean, it's almost like you could go and, and, and get a little bit gross with this, but it's, I think Jesus is intending us to think that way, that this world is rotting. You know, it's rotting away. Yeah. But if we were to rub salt on the outside of this world or have mm. pockets of salt mm. that work themselves into this world, we would see less rot and more preservation. So I think Jesus has that in mind, but then think about the way that he talks about light. He says, you're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Again, how emphatic is that? You know, so he's saying, look, this can't be, you can't hide, you can't hide as my followers, you can't hide as my representatives, you can't hide as the reflection of my light in this world. You're supposed to be like a city on a hill that is seen from everywhere around. You know, the cities, uh, the cities that were built in Jesus' day, especially in Palestine, were often built out of limestone. So they were this white limestone, very white limestone that was seen certainly during the day and would often reflect the light of the sun in a very, uh, you know, very kind of like stark and astonishing way. They, they looked very bright, but at night too, when they would light those cities up, it was almost like the city would glow hmm. at the top of the mountain. Yeah. So this is the imagery really that, cool. that they would have in their minds. And then beyond that, Jesus says, okay, in case the salt doesn't work for you, in case the city on the hill doesn't work for you, think about it this way. Who takes a light and hides a light that is supposed to light up the darkness and the dark rooms in a house? Who takes that light or that lamp and puts it under a basket? Who does that? Nobody does that. So Jesus is saying again to us, listen, you are are my representatives in this world. And he lets us in on the fact that it is, you know, he says, in the same way, let your good deeds be seen by others around you. So let your light shine so that your good works may be seen by others. So it's our good works, it's the goodness of our life, the the way that our life looks like Jesus in, you know, in the good works that are seen through and out of our lives that now are truly salt and light. So what is salt and light? Well, it's, it's us doing 
the good things that Jesus would, would do mm-hmm. if he was living life in our place. You know, if he was leaving it in, in our st- living it in our stead. And so, um, so again, I think that's, that's, uh, that's, that's really important. And it, it brings us back, I think, to this, this question, um, you know, that, that we're asking. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. L- l- let me ask you on that. So with, I don't know, I may, I may be jumping ahead okay. on, your, on your thoughts here, but I guess I wonder in that doing of good deeds, um, of you know, being this salt, being this light, how, how can that uniquely reflect Jesus? Like, because there are a lot of people yeah. in the world who are doing good deeds. Yeah, that's um, right. Who are doing, I, I remember when I was serving, uh, I, I served regularly at organization Meals by Grace, which is one yes. of our community partners, yeah. love what they do. This is an organization that they make hot meals, they mm-hmm. give out to families in the community, they give out boxes of food and yeah. whatnot. And they do it in a delivery service, it's an awesome organization. But, um, a lot of times, one of the largest populations that would be there serving is a lot of uh, Hindu organizations mm-hmm. were there, yeah. and it was they had a very strong value towards doing good deeds. That's interesting. So I guess I wonder, uh, maybe pushing back slightly, yeah. of how do our good deeds reflect Jesus when there's a yeah. lot of people who do good deeds? Yeah, I think Jesus, you know, says says very plainly, you know. Uh, we, we are called to be the kind of people uh, that give a cup of cold water in his name. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, we do these things in his name because we know that it's the good works that we do that earn us a hearing. I mean, that, that, was, often, that was often why Jesus seemed to, to do good works. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so, mm-hmm. so that people would believe that he is who he said he is because there's a lot more at stake than just doing good works for the sake of this world and the people around us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's an eternity at stake. So we have a different mindset okay. when we do good works. It's, I hope that these good works will show you, one, that I love you, that I care about you. Um, you know, here's this thing in, in altruistic actions. You know, we can choose altruistic behaviors where we're, we're taking care of the needs of others for very self-centered reasons. And, and I think a lot of people do. There have been some studies that actually, that actually point this out, that oftentimes uh, the good and benevolent acts that people do are more because of what they hope the, the doing of those actions will say about them as a person than it is about the love yeah. that they actually yeah. have for another. When you think about what Jesus did, I mean, he was worried... If he was worried what would, what people would think about anyone, it was he was worried what people would think about God the Father. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But his actions were for the sake of the love of others. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were deeply rooted in love for others, not concern for self and what everybody else would think about me yeah. as I do these good deeds. And so I think the why behind the what is quite different for us as Christ followers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the why behind the what is first we love people. Mm-hmm. You know, we want people to think well of our God, and we want them to glorify our Father in heaven, which is, you know, both Jesus say that, and then later the Apostle Peter says that in 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, 12, you know, this idea of, you know, living such good lives among those who are unbelievers, that people will eventually give glory to God because of the good lives that we're living. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think those are the, the first two uh, what's or why's behind the what, you know, so again, we want people to um, we want people to know they're loved. We want people to see uh, the goodness of God, and then we want to earn a hearing for the real gospel message. Would be mm-hmm. the third, and that was what Jesus was doing constantly. You know, um, was loving people so that he might earn a hearing. You know, or loving people because he loved people, then serving them and serving them well so that he might get a hearing. You know, so he healed somebody, and then had the chance to speak. You know, he fed people, yeah. then had the chance to share. You know, that seems to be a pattern that Jesus embraced over and over again. Well, I think they could even reconnect with the university press study that you talked about, right? And um, I don't have the language right in front of yeah, me, but of the 
this this idea of you've got some churches that maybe lean so heavily into the justice focus where it's yeah. it's just about justice it's just about um, doing good deeds we could say for people mm-hmm. there's others who maybe lean to so far it's just about evangelism mm-hmm. but where we need to be is in this spot that highly values yes. justice highly values evangelism that's right that those both go together those both go hand in hand and um, I think I think with that when we think about how our good deeds uniquely represent Jesus, those things have to go hand in hand, right? Yes. Because if it is one without the other, they're not going to do that. If we are just valuing the yeah. good deeds without the evangelism, without the discipleship yes. that comes with it, then it's it's not going to reflect Jesus. That's right. It's going to be good. and Maybe there's some value in the good that's being done there, and um, I don't, that, that's a different conversation. But... It's not going to be representing Jesus yeah, if I agree. both are not being valued, if both are not being brought forward. And yeah. also, we could we could have another conversation how just the evangelism without the yes. good deeds is also a something to be critical of. Yes, um, and a weak version that doesn't represent Jesus. Right, but those both have to be held together. That's right. Yeah. So, in, in one one sense, we could say this: if if I give people only a hope for tomorrow. But I know about the hope for eternity. Yeah. Then I've only done them good for tomorrow. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I didn't do any good. But mm-hmm. I gave them maybe some hope for today, and I gave them some hope for tomorrow. If I only give people a hope for eternity, but I don't give them some hope for today and tomorrow, there's a real disconnect there too. Yeah. Yeah. So we're supposed to be, you know, this transformational com- community that gives people hope both for today and tomorrow and for eternity that brings the whole thing together. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not supposed to be this disconnected experience and almost, you know, this, uh, you know, it just, it seems so incongruous when I think about it now. Although certainly yeah. I probably would have leaned more toward being the people that just go out and give the hope of eternity and aren't so worried about today and tomorrow a number of years back. You know, but mm-hmm. there comes this time where you see very plainly, no, that's not what a transformational community yeah. looks like. And it's we're really called good. to be that's a transformational a really good way community. To look at yeah. I mean, and we could, you, I'm sure you can nuance that in individual mm-hmm. interactions. If you're trying to build a relationship right. with someone, maybe you start with the good deeds before, like, and that's the first thing you've done, even before you've mentioned Jesus. And then that's yes. the next conversation. There's other times you might sit down and you're starting right in with discipleship. The good deeds are coming in later. Like, the order of how that happens yes. can be nuanced in each individual situation. I but think that's right. The high value that you're bringing both of those are your focus as you go into it. I think. I think that's the key when it comes to how our good deeds mm-hmm. are uniquely representing Jesus, not representing anything else, but that we're highly highly valuing justice, highly valuing discipleship. Those that's are right. coming together. I think it's a really helpful framework to look yeah, at. Yeah, I do too. I, I think we're, we're actually indebted to some degree for, for IVP's thinking on this, and I think it creates a really good, healthy framework for what the church should set again as the target yeah, of, yeah. of our experience as a group of people. And I think, you know, coming back to, again, the, the time that we find ourselves living in, I think, I think here's what we have to acknowledge, and it's really that only a genuine representation of Jesus will challenge the skeptical mind, mm-hmm. will challenge those who mistrust the church and individual Christians and maybe even have a mistrust for God or whatever. It's only a genuine representation that will challenge the skeptical mind. And I'm I'm not saying changing the skeptical mind. Again, you know, Jesus says in verses 11 and 12 in Matthew 5, like, look, it's, it's going to be tough. There are going to be times when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. So you're doing the righteous things and you're persecuted by my, you know, in my name or because of, because of me and for the sake of righteousness. And then 1 Peter 2.12, you know, Peter says the same thing. People may speak. They may speak all kinds of evil and harm, you know, our direction, you know, about us. They may say terrible things about us. But the hope is that through seeing this honest and genuine representation of Jesus, that one day there may be some hearts and minds that are changed and people, Mm -hmm. again, give glory to God because of that. And so, you know, I think here's what we have to be honest about as as Christ followers. Um, Our Sunday morning gatherings are, are not likely to challenge the skeptical mind. Certainly not going to change the skeptical mind. Mm-hmm. You know, us getting together on Sunday morning, and I'm not sure that our Sunday gatherings 
should ever have been intended to try to challenge the skeptical mind. Now, we, we share good things on Sunday mornings, and I've heard some fantastic sermons preached that, that have challenged me over time, but I think that was when I was already receptive and already curious, you know? Yeah. So I just don't think Sunday morning gatherings are going to succeed there. I don't think that our internal ministries, uh, even though they do great good here within our local church setting, and that's true about many churches, our internal ministries do a lot of good within our local church context, but they likely won't challenge a skeptical mind either. I think that probably even organized service opportunities, that, that even though they, those may begin to make a dent, there, there's even the possibility to remain skeptical of organized service opportunities because you might say, well, that, that those people are just doing that because they have to do that. Uh, I think what really starts to maybe move the needle um, is as individual believers choose to be salt and light. Mm. You know, I think it's when that happens, when your neighbor sees you engaging in a way day after day, even though maybe you have an unkind neighbor or a very skeptical neighbor or whatever that happens to be, you engage with that neighbor day after day and they see you representing Jesus as salt and light in your community, whether it be your personal interactions with them or your personal interactions with other, others, there's, an, there, there's some notice that you know, that individual skeptic starts to take. And in that, maybe we, we start to see a difference. You know? So I really think it's, yes, it is important that we do organized things as a church. It's important that we engage with organizations who are doing really good things like our, our community partners. Um, but it's also so important that we as individuals are living lives as salt and light, as representations of Jesus. That's really good. So you ended that message with a call to be intentional about doing good deeds, mm -hmm. to um, yeah, yeah, to live intentionally about this, to not just passively participate in it, but to actually make time for it, to schedule it, to be intentional mm -hmm. about this. So what what might that look like? What could that actually practically look like if we were to say, if someone listening to this, they they think that oh, man, I'm, I'm convinced this is something I need to do more. I need to be intentional about how I do good deeds, yeah. what would that look like in someone's life? Can you just yeah. give us a few so, examples? So, I mean, um, you know, to, to be intentional or to be purposeful about something means creating time for it, mm -hmm. means designating time for it. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's saying, okay, there needs to be time for this thing. I'm going to find time for it. I'm going to designate time for it. I'm not going to let other things come in the way of it, I'm going to prioritize this. And so if it's volunteer service opportunities, um, for example, with our community partners, I, we had maybe 15 community partners here, some other uh, internal ministries that Grace Chapel represented yesterday. So, you know, 20 plus tables of different groups and organizations that are doing work in the community or here, uh, here at Grace Chapel. Um, I think you need, we need to look to schedule those volunteer opportunities, those times of service, just as much as we look to schedule other things. When I put something in my calendar um, and somebody comes and asks me later, hey, do you have time? Let's say I've got something in my calendar from 2 to 3 p.m. Uh, you know, tomorrow afternoon. If somebody calls me this afternoon and asks me, could I do something on Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m., I'm going to look at it and say, you know what, I can't because I already have this scheduled here. It's, it's intentional. It was, you know, prioritized. It was scheduled. And I think we need to do the same with our volunteer service opportunities. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I acknowledged on Sunday morning, we're, we're busy people. Yeah. I mean, we, we're busy people. We, we have a schedule and a calendar for just about everything, you know, especially those with young kids in the home. But it doesn't matter if you've got young kids, you know, if you're in school like you are and you're trying to work a job mm -hmm. at the same time and you... I mean, you've got a schedule that you've got to keep organized. And, you know, I, I had, you know, a retired couple come to me um, you know, on Sunday morning and say, you know, we're retired, but we're as busy as we've ever been. So I want you to know that this idea of scheduling our opportunities to serve and do good works in our community, that conversation applies just as much to us. And it was just as convicting to us as I think it would be to anyone else. And so I, I appreciate people saying that and acknowledging that, you know, so, you know, schedule time for service, you know, volunteer service opportunities, um, you know, make, make time um, for, for something like maybe prayer walking through your neighborhood or, or when you learn of the opportunities that we have to, to meet up, you know, that this is for Grace Chapel folks, uh, when you learn of the opportunities that we have to connect with 
the church that we've been partnering with on the south side of Atlanta and come down into Atlanta together and walk you know, the streets of Atlanta, mm -hmm. ministering to homeless people, praying over uh, the Capitol and, you know, these different areas downtown. Um, when you see that opportunity come up in that moment, put it on your calendar because you know there are going to be other things that come searching for your time yeah. as the next days yeah. and weeks go on. That's what's going to happen. And so we've got to schedule. We've got to be intentional. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is, you know. Mm -hmm. So we can't change our cultural context, but that doesn't mean that within our cultural context, our busy cultural context, we ought not to find ways to say, okay, within this framework, I'm yeah. still going to find ways to be salt and light. And, and I think there's, there's multiple ways we need to schedule that. Mm -hmm. one, one way is to schedule like a block of time, like kind of like yeah. what you're saying of, I'm gonna go serve with this organization, with this group of people, so I'm scheduling my Saturday morning mm -hmm. from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. to mm -hmm. go and do this prayer walk, or it's not that long. It's, but um, you know, just schedule a block of time like that. But there's also spontaneous things yeah, that's right. that pop up. And we have to schedule for those yes. too. And what I mean by that is that you can't schedule for when right. that spontaneous thing is going to pop up. But what you can do is you can put margin in your schedule. Correct. Because you know that these things are going to pop up. And you want to be able to be faithful to those moments when they yep. do pop up. So, I mean, and I'm speaking to myself here because mm -hmm. I know I stack my schedule of, like, I make a fixed week schedule. I've got every 30 minutes scheduled of my days for the yep. most part. And... It's so important when I'm doing that is I need to build in margin. If I have every minute scheduled, then what happens when someone calls me out of the blue and right. needs something? When yes. there's someone's car broken down the side of the road, I feel a call like I, I need to stop and help that mm -hmm. person. Or when these moments arise, I just don't have time for it. That's right. So. I need to build in margin in my schedule. I need to block off time. I know I'm going to serve here. And I also need to build in margin to where I'm able to move something around if yeah, this came good. up. I need to be able to respond to this in this moment. Yeah, I think that's that's really good. And I think for what, what that means for many of us is that it's probably good to sit down. And a lot of us keep our calendars in Google Calendar or you, know, you use maybe another uh, app to keep your calendar. I think it's good to just sit down from time to time and evaluate your schedule and see yeah. if there are windows of opportunity. 100%. And if there aren't, look to see where you can downsize yeah. some. You know, where can you cut? Yep. Where can you trim? Yep. So that you have the ability to make room for another opportunity. Yep. And then the last That's thing good. I would say is this, is that, you know, don't, don't just try to come up with something on your own or go do something because you feel like now you should do something. I, I would say before you do anything, pray and ask God what it is that he may be calling you to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I think too often we, we jump into something just because we were told we should go jump into something, we should go do something, and so we jump in. And that's, that's good. I mean, at least that shows faithfulness and, you know, maybe obedience or whatever that happens to be. I mean, we're saying yes to the things that we've been asked to say yes to, and that's great. Um, but remember, we're doing all of this for God's glory. So it is possible that God has something he wants you to do specifically for his glory. And for some people, it may mean leading something new. And it may mean that you don't lead something new within the, the framework of the organized church. Or it may mean that you don't lead something new within the framework of an existing community partner. It may mean that God is calling you to begin something that meets a specific need within the community. I, I, you know, I once heard somebody say, you know, as a way of remembering, is that... Um, Good, need, good deeds meet others' needs, I think was the way it was said. So good deeds meet others' needs. Mm -hmm. you know, and so it may be you know, with that framework in mind, you're looking around and you're saying, what needs do I see? Mm -hmm. What needs exist within my community? And you know, what needs especially are going unfulfilled, unmet? Mm -hmm. And how can, I, how can I be salt and light in that situation so that somebody maybe for the first time ever, sees an accurate representation of Jesus at work in everyday life. You know, so I think That's you take great. all those, there's some practical advice yeah. in there for That's sure. That's really good. So that brings us to our last mm -hmm. question of how can we practice what we've learned this week to be faithful to Jesus? And then we've already, we've already hit on yeah, some yeah, of yeah. that. Um, but 
Anything else you'd add? Yeah, so maybe I'll just give a quick summary of that. Okay, so yeah. again, you know, as you mentioned, it ended Sunday's message with the, the challenge to be intentional and purposeful mm -hmm. as it relates to opportunities, to, to finding opportunities, really, to be salt and light in the world. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's intent, it's purpose. And as you mentioned, I'd say yes, be spontaneous and react as the Spirit moves you. So maybe that means creating margin within our schedule so that we can. But then realize, because sometimes people feel like the things we schedule are not authentic, uh, as it relates to mm -hmm. God anyway. You know, the things we schedule um, are not authentic, um, you know, or maybe even in relationships. You know, I, here's what I'd say. A scheduled date night in my marriage is not an inauthentic experience. Yeah. It's not. It's what we have to do because we're busy people. Yeah. And so when we schedule that date night, it actually shows meaning, purpose, and intent mm -hmm. in that. So maybe it actually mm -hmm. makes it more that's meaningful, you good. know, more authentic. It shows a reflection of the heart. You know, the same thing when I show up at my kids' baseball games or basketball games or softball mm -hmm. games. Um, I've put those on my calendar so that I don't schedule anything else there, which means I'm holding the place for this thing that I value. So don't, don't feel bad about scheduling good works. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with it. Uh, and in fact, it is. It's often what it looks like to be intentional and purposeful. Again, just realize we, we schedule just about everything else. Yeah. We are busy people. Accept that. So let me just ask this question. What about scheduling times of intentional service? Yeah, I think that's, that's so exciting to me about some of what I saw happening in our parking lot yesterday or Sunday morning during, during the mm -hmm. ministry mm -hmm. fair. Um, watching people go and making these connections and going and looking at the sign-up sheets that were filling up with people's mm -hmm, names, mm -hmm. knowing that there's a connection made there where somebody's going to say yes to doing something yeah. in the name of Jesus that I believe will make a difference. I, you know, that, that's a big deal. You know, so again, um, it was just great to watch those connections being made that I hope lead to salt and light opportunities. You know, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, as we do these kind of things, it's our hope that people around us will see our good works and never forget the why behind the what mm. so that they will give glory to God. That's good. So that it will open the door for conversations about God. Love that. Man, this is good, man. This has been a really good conversation, Paul. I think so, yeah. Enjoyed this. And thank you all for tuning in as always today. And um, we look forward to seeing you next week as we continue mm -hmm. this series. We go into part four. We'll be joined yeah. by Jim again next That's week, right? right? That's right. Yep. So um, do you know what he's talking about? Um, he is talking about the, the kind of some of the one another statements and how the love that okay. we have for each other. That's is that John 13 too. Um, how that is the way that we actually confirm that we are disciples of Jesus. So that's awesome. a way of being witnesses in this world to who we belong to is by loving each other. And then the New Testament is just sprinkled full of these one another statements, how we ought to engage with each other. Love it. That's a good little teaser as to what we'll be talking about next week. So we hope you join us. Also, just those resources, we alluded to a couple things today in the podcast, talked about mm -hmm. um, the book Recreated to Be Like God, um, the IVP study, John Mark Comer's Live No Lies. We'll link all those things in the show notes so you can check those things out if you are interested in uh, learning more about those and continuing in studying this. But thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next week.